Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply that proves that award season is a year-round event. I am Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with our film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. And our senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hello. We've lost Mike this week, but as you hear later, we have a special guest, David Sims of The Atlantic and the Blank Check podcast, which all three of us have been guests on, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. He's here to talk about Steven Spielberg, which is what his uh, current podcast series is about, and his effort toward an Oscar this year, because it's kind of a quiet period for Oscar related movies. Richard and Joanna, you guys covered Beauty and the Beast last week, which made a ton of money. It sure did. So therefore might be in the conversation. But kind of using this quiet period in film, we thought we'd talk about television, which is the movies that come to our house. (laughs) (laughs) Elegantly put. (laughs) Uh, We have had uh, one Twitter follower ask us to talk about Feud, which we are going to do because the current episodes are kind of gearing up for the Oscars. And uh, I don't know any TV show that's really focused so much on an Oscar ceremony. It's a little surreal to watch, actually. It's really fun. People talk about this other than me. Who else cares about what Lee Remick was doing at the Oscars in 1963? (laughs) In the meantime, we wanted to cover Legion, which is a show that Joanna, I think you know more about than basically anybody and seemed like a good way to get in not just to that show and what's interesting about it, but what's going on with TV dramas this year for the Emmys, which are notably absent of Game of Thrones, which is not going to start airing until July. Let's start, Joanna. What's up with Legion and why is it worth the attention of people who are kind of looking for the next prestige TV thing to pay attention to? Yeah, I mean, nothing's ever going to be Game of Thrones. So let's yeah. just get that out of the way. But, you know, this is a short eight episode season and they've, they've already greenlit season two. This is from Noah Hawley, who did Fargo. And it's a loose sort of X-Men comics adaptation. Marvel's involved. Um, Jeff Loeb's involved. But it's technically an FX property. And it is unlike any, I will promise you, you who are nursing your wounds from watching Iron Fist, possibly unlike any comic book show that's on television, Noah Hawley set out to do an entirely like surreal, more surreal than Twin Peaks is what he promised sort of series. And and I think, you know, people have watched might agree that he has delivered as we record this episode seven is going to air tonight, which I have seen. And it is one of the craziest, best hours of television I've seen in a long time. And then uh, episode eight, the finale airs next week. I really hope that people who either haven't seen the show or dropped out midway because it was too confusing, catch back up and dip back in because when I was at the TCAs earlier this year, an FX executive promised me off the record, <laughs> but I'm going to say it now, promised me that the series would come together. Like no matter how confusing it gets, Joanna, stick with it. It comes together. And it really, really has um, in an um, amazing way. Huge, huge, great performances from Dan Stevens and Aubrey Plaza. And, you know, I, I think it's just a visually stunning, well-acted show that knows exactly what it is. Richard, how much of Legion have you watched? Um, I watched two episodes and was like, I Richard hate, I hate, hate <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not my cup of tea, but, um, I think also knowing that it kind of comes together towards the end makes me curious to, to revisit it. I don't think that we should, you know, uh, let TV treat us like this these days, which they do, which is like, no, 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 just, just, just spend seven hours with it and then it'll be good. <sighs> yeah. You know? that's the, um, it's like something that a lot of shows ask of people too. Increasingly. And I think, you know, that's a lot of Netflixy stuff, but, but no, um, I think that what I will say in Legion's favor is that I think Dan Stevens and Aubrey Plaza are great and that it's, if nothing else, really visually interesting. Oh, and Jean mm-hmm. Smart is good, you know. Oh so. man, Jean Smart. Yeah. Why didn't you say so? Right? She's Noah Hawley's new yeah. news, I guess. Rachel Keller, too, who's who's great. She was great on Fargo season two, and she's she's also great in this. And Bill Irwin gets to do some great clowning physical comedy as the season goes on. Um the 
I agree with you, Richard. And then I was particularly angry about that with Iron Fist in terms of people saying, well, wait till episode 10. I was like, how dare you? Yeah. Do I have 10 yeah. hours to do this? I mean, I do because <laughs> it's my job, but like other, other humans should not be subjected to this. With Legion, I would say it was like episode five where it started okay. coming together, which is a little less egregious. Yeah. And I've been rewatching the earlier episodes and it's one of those things that really does reward a rewatch. But once again, like it's a good question. How dare TV do this to us? Like, mm-hmm. do we have time to just rewatch earlier episodes and now they make sense? But at least what Legion can offer through the confusion that is certainly not true of Iron Fist and a lot of other shows is something visually unlike anything else on television, which is why I think Legion might have a shot at some of those technical awards that Game of Thrones usually has on Locke. So the Emmy connection, I mean, when you look at like predictions on Gold Derby for best drama, like Legion's not on there, although at this point, who actually knows anything? But the technical categories, that's where Game of Thrones wins 15 Emmys. That's where that all happens. And there is a big opening there. Yeah, exactly. I was sort of trying to figure out what kind of vacuum Game of Thrones is leaving. And it's a lot of technical categories. Obviously, Best Drama, which I agree, I don't think Legion has a shot there. Not a lot of acting awards. And then the writing and the directing award, I think it's won the last two years. And so... You know, with Legion, I think we could see a lot of that show up in the technical category feud. I don't think the technical categories are broken out by limited series versus drama, right? Isn't it all just one? Ooh, what a good question that I can look up. Great, I will stall. I will say (laughs) that if they're not segregated, then feud could snap up that costume design or that usually goes to Michelle Clapton for Game of Thrones because those costumes are just completely incredible. So, you know, it's a lot of the dramas that people are talking about right now are actually limited series, feud, big little lies. So those won't quite be in this competing in the same categories necessarily as Game of Thrones. But we've got some great shows coming up like the last season of The Leftovers could maybe sneak in there the americans which you know got its real first real award season momentum last year could sort of pick up even more steam this year yeah it does seem like the americans time is maybe coming hope so it's a great show richard what other dramas are out there that you think might be in the running here I wonder if the young Pope could do anything, you know, hmm. um, that, that show has seemed sort of people were divided on it, but I know people who stuck with it seem to really be into it. I really hope the leftovers does something. I mean, I think last year was interesting. It really clicked finally with critics and became, I think almost like the best reviewed show of the year in some senses and written about in these very rapturous terms. So now that it has that season under its belt and is coming back for one final one, I wonder if it could maybe really solidify its place in the, in the pantheon. I feel like The Leftovers is even the the more egregious example of what you were talking about, Richard, where it's like, just get through the first season and then it gets totally. really yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, you know, it is a show that was co-created by Damon Lindelof and he doesn't always know where he's going, even though he creates these fascinating worlds. So there's no guarantee that season three will be satisfying, but I'm holding out a lot of high hope. I like to think it will be only because season two was so assured and season three is a planned final season. Right. I always get really excited about early planned final seasons because it's like we know what we're doing. Well, that's what the Americans is doing too, right? Yeah, but they're going through – so this is season five right now and then they're doing season six as their final season. So it's not as early as like three and out. Yeah. uh, Just what The Leftovers, which is, you know, severely underwatched, which is why it's three and out. But HBO gave them one more season to sort of wrap everything up. I think because the reviews have been so strong. Yeah. 
Exactly. Uh, it looks like the technical categories are divided between TV, uh, movie, or limited series, and a regular series. I mean, for me, the one to really step into the Game of Thrones void there is the crown. Oh, sure. Of course. Yeah. Which is like so expensive and so beautifully done. And, uh, you know, we talked about it a lot on this podcast, but I think has really stuck with people. Yeah. I wonder, do we know when season two is premiering? No. I can't imagine they would bring season two before season one has its Emmys run, though. Season one premiered in like November of last year. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Okay. But that's that's the other thing. The weird thing about the Emmys is like, will people remember The Crown by next Emmys, The Crown season one by next Emmys? You know what I mean? Or will it be sort of an award for season two? I mean, I feel like that's what happened with like Mr. Robot or other things. That happens a lot with Orange is the New Black, it seems. Yeah. The other one, what will they remember? Stranger Things, which does not seem to have gone anywhere, even though it premiered like nine that's months so ago. That's so crazy. Yeah. So yeah. the nominations will be coming out. Nominations come out in like early July. A year from when the show premiered. Yeah, Stranger Things, I think, literally premiered the same week as the Emmy nominations or something like that. And then wasn't eligible for those Emmys and will be coming back now. Right. Todd Vanderbilt over at Vox.com wrote this great piece about sort of why so many shows are premiering in April, uh, which was the Game of Thrones premiere month historically, but Game of Thrones will be back till the summer. And, you know, he pointed out that it, it had to do with Emmy qualification cutoff point. Right. And also just sort of because Game of Thrones had such success <laughs> with that run because it's like right at the tail end of qualifications and then it's fresh, you know, you know, battle of the bastards or whatever is fresh in your mind by the time you're voting for the Emmy, that sort of thing. Like that, that was a recipe for success for Game of Thrones. So a lot of other shows are being thrown in there like Fargo, The Leftovers, et cetera, et cetera. I am really excited for Carrie Coon with the final season of Leftovers and Fargo season three. I think this could be a really big Emmy year for her. One other thing that we're not talking about because maybe this proves that memories are short, Westworld. HBO oh, made Westworld. Of yes. Westworld. It was real expensive. But, uh- Westworld has got so snubbed at the Golden Globes, maybe because it was so fresh. A lot of people were really expecting, like, Tandy Newton, at least, to win. Didn't she get a SAG nomination? She got... She got a nominated, but she yeah. didn't win. And yeah. Hopkins didn't even get nominated, though. It was very... It was very, like, real-world gut check about actually how popular Westworld uh-huh. is. Yeah. yeah. Actually, it's like, it seems popular on the internet, but it is maybe not as widespread popular as we think it is. Speaking of HBO, I know it's a limited series, and we did already mention it, but Big Little Lies, I feel like yeah, it could be fun to have Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon and, and others at the Emmys. You yeah, know? well, and as I think uh, Joe Reed, previous guest, has pointed out that between uh, Nicole Kidman, Reese Witherspoon, Shailene Woodley, and then Feud with Jessica Lange and Susan Sarandon, it's going to be like this insane yeah. battle in yeah. Best Actress in a Limited Series. Yeah, that's that's going to be quite something. And I think that Big Little Lies deserves it. I think oh it's my really God. good. Yeah. You know, and I think that... Sean Mark Vallee directing all the episodes, David e. Kelly writing all the episodes. Like it has a real sort of solid idea of itself, and so I would I, I would think that it will be recognized in those categories as well, not just for the acting. Yeah, because it's so solidly made. This is exactly the Oscar drama that we will see play out on Feud in the upcoming weeks. But uh, this sort of idea that Betty Davis and Joan Crawford were co-leads and whatever happened to Baby Jane, probably if one of them had gone into the supporting category, they might have both won. You know, that's more complicated. We will get into it in future episodes. Both been nominated, um, certainly. Yeah, I wonder if any of these actresses who are definitely the lead on their show will dip into the supporting category, like maybe a Big Little Lies. I can totally see Reese going lead and Nicole going supporting. Yeah, exactly. And then Shailene just gets like... Just yeah. screwed. Or, but what about Laura Dern then? Oh, God, Laura Dern. She's yeah. so good on the show. 
You know, so it's, you can't have Susan Sarandon and Jessica Lange and Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon in the same category. It's insane. I mean, you I might get you it. I think you can. I, I don't know. So, I just but I don't, I don't know happen. how they'll pick. I don't know how they'll pick. There is so. an ancient gay prophecy about that happening <laughs> <laughs> that we haven't told most people about. But Now the scales are lifted from our yeah. eyes. And Carrie Coon in Fargo season three to just sort of round it all out. Maybe. Oh, yeah, I Fargo. say without having seen a single minute of footage. So, um, and that's so interesting because for so long it felt like it was the you know the big male anti-hero actors like Brian Cranston and John Hamm and earlier James Gandolfini etc cetera, etc cetera, like battling it out for the Emmys and now it feels like this is an actress's game we're in an actress wave at least as far as limited series goes a decade ago it'd be like there are people like Kira Sedgwick and Holly Hunter who couldn't get acting roles yeah. movie roles anymore so they went to television but none of those were really taken seriously awards wise and now finally we've caught up and been like oh okay we can make these like prestige television which when you watch big little lies it's crazy that it was ever thought to be like a man's game because women this is like a great place for women's stories but but now that the big movie stars are are sweeping and where do the Kira Sedgwick's go where is it what's Kira Sedgwick up to I mean Carrie Coon's still uh you know um, getting yeah there you go I don't know. I mean, like, it's, it's still PTV for a little bit longer. It literally seems like there's room for everybody. Kira Cedric did win for The Closer. She won a Golden Globe and an Emmy. And oh, Holly Hunter, right. I think she won. Maybe maybe she didn't. But I think you're right that it was, like, maybe this, like, default of, like, that's a movie actress name I recognize. And now, like... Yeah, <laughs> and, like, the shows themselves weren't taken seriously the way that, like, Mad Men yeah. was. Yes, absolutely. But now these Oscar... Well, Holly Hunter is an Oscar winner. But, like, you know, it's just... Yeah, it's a different it's a different landscape entirely. You know, I remain fascinated to see what will step in to that Game of Thrones role. I think you're right, Katie, that the crown has a really good shot there, especially if they get season two out close enough that it's in people's Yeah, memory. season two debuts in like June. Right. Which could be cool. So get some some Claire Foy action, some costuming action. Actually, I think that's Michelle Clapton again on The Crown. So never mind. Yeah, it's Michelle just, Clapton will just, just never stop winning Emmys. It's just a costume award for Michelle, Michelle Clapton, no matter which way you slice it. Yeah. And next year we'll have um, possibly Amy Adams and Naomi Watts doing battle. Or although I think maybe Naomi Watts is actually a drama, not a limited series. But but they both have TV oh, things coming out. And doesn't Meryl Streep have a TV thing that she's doing? Oh, I think yeah, she does. She yeah. Does. So. Yeah. Yeah, Brave New World. Yeah, and we're actually, as we kind of go into what's going to be Emmys for consideration season, like there's basically a whole other huge award season, like Oscar season that we've been covering that goes around the Emmys. So we'll be getting into a lot of that in the coming months. So there's yeah. a lot to talk about. So start watching TV now, just as the weather's getting nice. Oh my God, yeah, I, yeah stay inside. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I watched all Stranger Things in like two days because it was too hot to go outside. So it there doesn't take long for the weather to go from being nice to oppressive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just, meanwhile, Joanna and her year-round beautiful temperatures is like, whatever, guys, I watch TV all the time. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I know you're so right. You need to move to a place with inclement weather so I can feel better about my TV watching. <laughs> More in a moment, but first we want to talk to you again about Tripod. It's an effort that we're doing all of this month with a bunch of other podcasts to ask you, our listeners, to tell a friend about a podcast that they will love. It doesn't have to be this podcast, but we'd love it if it were. We want you to think of a friend, your mom, anyone in your life that you care about who you think would like podcasts if they haven't heard of it or about a podcast that they would love if they're just starting to get into it. So tell them about it in real life or on social media. And if they don't know how to download podcasts already, as you know, it's pretty easy. So show them how. Richard, you had a podcast that you wanted to tell people that you love. Yeah, um, it's a podcast that's kind of a collaboration between WBUR, which is my hometown, Boston. Of course. Uh, one of the public radio stations there and the New York Times that takes the modern love columns from mm-hmm. the New York Times and 
pairs it with an actor. I think an actor actually chooses from a selection and then reads it, and they, they score it with music. And it's really good. It's it's poignant. It's funny. I found it really comforting in the days immediately after the election. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. Because it had nothing to do with news or anything. Oh, it yeah. It was just kind of soothing. They have great readers. Um, Emmy Rossum did a great one. David Oyelowo, I think, did one. Um, so it's just like a, they have a good, interesting cast. So when you're sick of thinking about politics and or the movie industry, which we always talk about, it seems like a good alternative. Yeah, you can you know hear about like quirky real-life romances and stuff. Who doesn't like that? Yeah. Uh, so if you want to recommend Modern Love or Little Gold Men or anything else, tell people about it on Twitter, on social media, using the hashtag Tripod, which is T-R-Y pod. And thank you for spreading the word. So now we're joined in a special podcast crossover episode that uh, presumably someone's been asking for along the way. Host of the Blank Check podcast, where Richard, Joanna, and I have all been guests, it's David Sims. Hi, everybody. This is very exciting. Thank you for having me. I do assume that there's at least like one person who's listened to this show and Blank Check and is like, wow, they're all I in one so. place. I've gotten I think a I've, tweet. I've, I've, they've been, yeah, they've, they've been on Twitter. There's been a tweet the or tweets, two. The tweets are out there. So, David, we brought you on because right now, as people know, you're in the middle of the uh, Steven Spielberg miniseries. Although the week yes. that we're talking, uh, you had an episode about the movie Blank Check, so the timing is weird. Can you <laughs> just roughly explain the, the premise? I know, I know that like your co-host Griffin is the one who does it usually on, on it's your true, show. true, he does. And it is not an easy premise no, to explain. No, it's not. <laughs> but the most simple way you can. Uh, it's a movie podcast. We break down by directors. So mm-hmm. we tackle director filmographies and we just do one episode per movie. And we like directors who have made movies that get them a quote-unquote blank check from Hollywood, like uh, your M. Night Shyamalan's, your sure. James Cameron's, where... Uh, they have some big success and then they get to make whatever they want. And sometimes it's great and sometimes it's terrible. Sometimes they bounce, baby. Sometimes they bounce, baby. <laughs> That's one of your That's many, <laughs> many catchphrases on uh, on that show. It's um, a catchphrase every show. You've all been on it. Yes, we all yeah. have. So, you know, you mentioned Shyamalan. You did a Cameron Crowe season. Correct. Which um, um, I, I, what was I? Vanilla Sky. You did Vanilla Sky. Um, we did a Wachowski yeah. season. Mm-hmm. Um, so for a lot of these filmmakers, they started out big mm-hmm. and then have kind of diminishing returns yeah they've had comebacks you know like Shyamalan actually right just sometimes comeback, peaks sort of. and valleys but Spielberg mm-hmm. that's a pretty high plateau let's say I mm-hmm. mean you know there's there's some variation in there but he, that guy doesn't tend to bomb you know no in fact I'm racking my brain to even think of his last I mean the like, BFG actual, the BFG was weirdly yeah. kind of a bomb yeah uh, yeah and uh, it is the it'll be the final episode. It's oh. a, you know it's sort of unless a, he a, makes a movie. If a it's me that no, well, well, he's trying. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, we'll I mean, get to the, that. The, the the more topical part of this is that he's making a Pentagon Papers movie. I don't remember what if it's is it called the Pentagon. It's Papers? called the Post. The Post. Um, oh, right. But I mean, one thing that we're focusing on as well. The idea is the big blank check he got was DreamWorks. Uh, right. So itself. it's all the, the Post like DreamWorks yes. and on movies. Not you're not going back to like, ET and stuff. No, just because yeah. it's like thirty movies right. and we we. It's a lot of Spielberg. I mean, it's already a lot of Spielberg, just starting uh, with The Lost World, which is sort of the first. It's it doesn't matter. It's technically and it's also it's not just DreamWorks, but it's post Oscar Spielberg, exactly, which is really important because I mean, you guys aren't talking about his early films, but I feel like the idea is that he's been a long time gunning for the Oscar. Like he wanted that Best Picture win, he got it with Schindler's List, and then uh, what happens when you have everything you ever wanted? Which is what's interesting about him. What are some of the Spielberg near misses at the Oscars? Like Color Purple. Right, doesn't that uh, yep. feel like a near miss? Yeah, what that, else? That that got nominated for like ten Oscars, but not Best Director, and lost every single one. I think uh, he had a lot of like real the Oscars really like sort of almost pointedly snubbing him for a while. Empire of the Sun, right, was a big miss for him. 
Uh, well, the sense was that, you know, he's like the kid's director. Like, yes, hey, exactly. you make Jaws. They would pat him on the head. Yeah. I mean, there's the famous video of him being filmed because he thought he was about to find out that he got his first Best Director nomination for Jaws. I can't believe he let right. them film him. That. That oh. And the tape exists. I believe it's on YouTube now. And he missed oh out a uh, Fellini. Federico Fellini <laughs> got the uh, special <laughs> nom for Satyricon, I think. And I think on the video, someone's like, ah, it's Fellini. They gave it to Fellini. <laughs> like you could, you could see their their outrage mounting. Oh wow! Um, but so yeah, from from those humble days of Oscar chasing. Now, then he won two in the nineties. He won he won two in the nineties. He won for Schindler's List. He won for Saving Private Ryan yeah. for Best Director, which is the episode that you were on, Richard. Which I, I just want to plug the Saving Private Ryan episode mm. on Blake Chick is great. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Joanna was on our Minority Report, which episode. is another great great one. Which is not very Oscar-y at all. <laughs> no, no, but no, unfairly snubbed. I would say. Oh, has, has he been nominated since? Saving Private Ryan was he... uh, as a director. Yeah, was he not nominated for Bridge of Spies? He was. He... Well, no, he no, was nominated for Best Picture dir- for Bridge of Spies for only... Lincoln. Yeah, Lincoln. Lincoln. Did he not get a Munich directing nod? No, he got a picture. Just... Yeah, he did. You're right. He yeah. got a directing. That's IMDb it. is not well organized. For also, me to Tintin, figure this of out. course. Yes, obviously. <laughs> and Warhorse. Warhorse. I mean, Warhorse, Warhorse got, got a Best Picture nod. I love Warhorse. Madness. Well, that's part of the thing that's interesting about it. If you know, this is an Oscars podcast, right? If you want to talk Oscars, is like. I feel like now they're like, sure, hey, you know, War Horse, Bridge of Spies, these movies get the best picture nod. Yeah. They get maybe a few other nods. But they almost sort of are like, well, you're fine, right, Steve? We don't need to give you right. much attention. You know. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know you're loved. And uh, it's, it's especially with Bridge of Spies, which is such an Oscar movie, like critically respected. It was sort of a surprise hit. Yeah. Had Tom Hanks in it, for crying out loud. And... Yeah, I don't know. They the Oscars they gave it one one trophy. You know, they sort of gave it a pat on the head, and it's uh it's interesting how far away they've gone from the '90s Oscars vibe. Yeah, but they gave the right trophy, I would say. Like, right, if you were going to give, you know, that film was so stolid. I guess is the word I would use, but like. You know, Mark Rylance is a genius. And so they're like, here's your genius award, Mark Rylance. Sorry, Sylvester Stallone. But it's so funny because people watching from the – I get more feedback from people who aren't theater goers, who don't know Mark Rylance, are still really mad about the Sylvester Stallone snub because, I don't know, they didn't see Bridge of Spies or if they did, they didn't see anything special in that performance. And um, to them, it feels like that sort of same break between popular entertainment and – you know, stolid old world Hollywood stuff is like the way that Spielberg couldn't break through with genre like Jaws. They're like, well, you're not going to give Creed the respect it deserves. No respect. Oh, the cycle no continues. It is, yes. It is crazy that he lost for Creed. Like, if you think about it, it's, <laughs> no, it's crazy. It was, uh, I mean, that, that I, was I, think such a slam dunk. I think we're a pro Rylance podcast. Right Absolutely. Here now, so. I mean, I loved, I would have been happy with either. Yeah, I, Rylance, it's a wonderful performance. Well, the word is that Stallone is not very well liked in the no. industry. So. He's, a, he's a bit of a tough cookie. I yeah. Think. Interesting. Okay. So, all right. So Spielberg's going to be back with Pentagon Papers. Like, I the mean, post. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> call, I'm calling it the Pentagon Papers. Sure. So, okay. So Steven Spielberg, it's starring Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. It's about publication of the Pentagon Papers yes. at the Washington Post. Uh, and it's about, I guess, uh, Ben Bradley, who's Hanks is going to play, mm-hmm. and Catherine Graham, Kay Graham, Katie Graham, mm-hmm. whatever they called her, deciding to publish them. So it's kind of everything. Like, it's so Oscar on paper that it makes me worry there's a catch somewhere. Well, and hasn't that sort of, I mean, I guess that's sort of what I was saying about Bridge of Spies, because 
it used to be and the good shepherd which is not spielberg but had that same vibe just sort of felt where it was like what's your early oscar favorite this year i don't know spielberg's making something with tom hanks that looks good you know? <laughs> and yeah. yeah you know the pentagon so it's about press freedom it's got yeah. meryl streep in it but this is something that he was he's working on ready player one right that's yeah. in post-production which we talked about on our oscars episode a couple weeks ago with joe reed and it has since been moved back out of this year so just they, if, if you're wondering right. for your little gold so it's men not continuity, coming out it's year. not they pushed it to march because they apparently they're afraid of clashing with star wars that yeah, was, they well, should be. The yeah. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Uh, so, and what's what's, the, what's Star Wars? What's Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> it's just up and coming. Nerd series. Do you have a possibly thirty episodes about the uh, <laughs> right. well, yeah, that's the Star other Wars thing. franchise? <laughs> Blank Check started as a Star Wars podcast. It did. Just as a, uh, Star Wars prequels podcast. Yeah, this is just what the world with the kind of insane premise that you guys n- didn't know that any of the other Star Wars <laughs> yes. movies existed. That was where the Blank yeah. Check idea came I from. Though, but, yes, if you listen back, it's really. Oh, uh, we've boy. changed a lot over over the two years that we've been doing God, this now, well, which is not congratulations. But uh, so Ready Player One gets pushed back, and then it's just on deadline or whatever. Oh, Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep signed on for some Steven Spielberg movie, and they're just going to shoot it right now, and it's just going to come out in December. Yeah, That's and wild. it's who? Uh, there's not a lot of directors who could pull something like no, that. No, and of the David, bag. you'll know you'll be up more today on this than I am because. Spielberg's done this a couple of times where mm-hmm. he'll release two movies in the same year, like mm-hmm. Schindler's List and Jurassic Park, which is the most insane double bill yep. imaginable. Um, Munich, War of the Worlds, I think, and then Tintin I, and Warhorse. I call it the three and two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You just you just start talking. So it's uh, in 97, you had um, Lost World, then Amistad, and then in 98, Saving Private Ryan. That's so that's three crazy. and two years. He does it again in 0102 with AI, Minority Report, and Catch Me If You Can. Okay. Right. And then in 0405, he does Terminal or the Worlds in Munich. That's so And crazy. then he did it again in 1112. He does uh, War Horse, Tintin, and Lincoln. So Jeez, he, yeah. he works in these like bursts. And then yeah. he takes like four years off. Yeah. Or and then he'll four take years some time. And it's always some mix of like a sort of serious, heady picture, maybe historical. Now these days he seems he likes to work with Tony Kushner. Yeah. So, you know, Kushner wrote Munich. He wrote Lincoln. He's writing this new movie that Spielberg's attached to about like a pope. Mark sure. Rylance is going to be in it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got some sort of big genre work like Minority yeah. Reporter or Tintin or something, right? And then something like this, some sort of like, you know, nice hefty drama. Yeah. Like, what What is middle. your favorite um, Spielberg mode? I mean, in classic Spielberg, I love Spielberg, like the populist entertainer, right? Like Raiders, E.T., uh, what we've been sort of thinking about as we do this miniseries is how bad he gets at that once he gets the DreamWorks gig and once he's sort of reached the apex of his career. Like when he tries to give you the terminal or Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, where yeah. he's like, you know, I'll dip back into but like David, the Spielberg magic, Tintin, the BFG. Tintin's so good. I love Tintin. That's different. I, li- I do like Tintin <laughs> because of the whole mocap thing. Like it's Tintin's just weird. It's a weird movie. Also, it's about like a teenager who's a reporter and he has a gun <laughs> and a dog. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's friends with an alcoholic. <laughs> but, Sounds pretty normal to me. It's just like these movies are so melancholy, or the tone's just off. And, and so I like Spielberg best recently in this sort of melancholy mode. Like I love AI. Yeah. I love Munich. I love Bridge of Spies. Just wait, guys. Just wait for a Bridge of Spies episode. Oh, I'm excited. You've never heard two 20-something-year-old boys. I'm 30 now, actually. But, you know, two late 20s, early 30s boys so excited about Bridge of Spies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I love history nerd Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, 
that's my. But that's also Amistad Spielberg, you know. Like it sometimes comes back to bite you. Well, yeah. I I don't hate Amistad. Sorry. The thing about (laughs) Amistad, and that's that's I think is our shortest episode of the mini series, just because we're like. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, you also started with the Lost World. It's <laughs> sure. like really rough there. Um, but with Amistad, you're like, oh, he wanted to make Lincoln when you're watching right. it, and when you see Lincoln, you're like, this is maybe a little better. Like, you can't approach Spielberg can't really approach the topic of slavery from the perspective of the slaves and make a movie that feels particularly no. successful. That's, That's sort of the problem true, with Amistad. But I. I will forever thank Amistad for giving us Jamon Honsu, who is not necessarily always delivered on that promise that we saw in Amistad, but that that is just like a really good introductory performance from an actor. It's true, one of his many finds. But uh, but the best thing, things in Amistad are the courtroom scenes, or like Hopkins yeah. and the mutton chops, just well, and that's fifteen what I, minutes of talking. And that's why I love Lincoln so much. It's just like yes. you get all these people who are like in there grinding out history and like yelling at each other in their mutton chops. And right. it's like it's what's good about Bridge of Spies is when you have Tom Hanks as this guy with a cold who's oh, like trying to do. Got spy a cold, work. guys. And so it makes me excited about the Pentagon or the Post uh, because it's going to be like <laughs> Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep like in an office late at night. It's going right. to be like spotlight, like them kind of like hunched over a desk, being like, oh. And it's I want to talk about, about this weird, I don't know, web that's that's forming in my head, which is that Jason Robards won an Oscar for playing Ben Bradley in All the President's Men. Mm-hmm. Spotlight had Ben Bradley Jr. <laughs> played by John Slattery. True. So um, won the Oscar. So I'm going to call it sort of like the Ben Bradley Effect. dynasty Oscar <laughs> glow. <laughs> that's yeah. True. That's what I've decided to call it. So, David, having looked so much at Spielberg in depth, do you feel like he's gotten over the Oscar chasing thing that drove him in the 80s? Or like if he really comes back in with another contender, is he just going to go for it? I think it's interesting. It's For one, I think he has in general gotten over the Oscar chasing thing because he just never seems that worked up about like when Munich gets right. He never thinks he's going to win anymore. Maybe with Lincoln. But even with Lincoln, I feel like the campaign was so subdued. Yeah. And then that movie made like $150 million domestic. Like just just kind of walked on the power of being great. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, you can't deny the guy's making a movie about the Washington Post with Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks. So it's not not like he's switching over to... I feel like Spielberg's larger concern, and he seems to express this in interviews over and over again now, is he hates blockbuster culture, which he invented. And I feel like he he holds himself... Maybe doesn't hold himself responsible, but is sort of annoyed at at like how uh, cheaply and, you know, the sort of formula that gets pumped out Mm. now. And... He, it's like, like James Cameron looking at the Terminator sequels and being like, I didn't intend this. Exactly. And same, James Cameron bitches about it a lot, too. And uh, he, you know, is always bemoaning like the lack of the serious, like mid-budget adult drama. So I feel like that's what he's obsessed with making over and over mm-hmm. again now. And when he's making a blockbuster like he's making Ready Player One, I guess he's trying to go for something different. I mean, Well, Indiana Jones 5 is also still like, I mean, they keep like re-promising I know. what's happening. Well, the thing with that one is it seems like it's like George Lucas won't be involved, right? That's like the selling point for all these Lucasfilm properties. Yeah. Like rebooting them. It's like, well, George Lucas won't be involved. Yeah, poor George. I know. Because it seems like that was so much of the problem with Crystal Skull was uh, George Lucas insisted on like I just, I don't believe that George Lucas has the power to like overrule Spielberg and be like, no, 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 no. This is a great idea. I feel like Spielberg is still the more powerful in that pair. You'd think so. I mean, George is richer. George, probably, yeah, probably. Well, right? who's richer? I don't know, man. And Spielberg's ha- produced a lot of movies. More, I think George is richer. Um, he probably is. And, and George has more technical ownership over the Indiana Jones property, right? Like, uh, At least he did. 
yeah, uh, before, before, before the sale. The sale. Yeah. But so that's what I mean is like Steven might, might be tempted to defer to that, especially since like when they worked in the original films, I don't know. It's, I'm writing L- Lucas Spielberg fan fiction. At this point, so. <laughs> that's what literally the entire blank <laughs> check series began. As. Yes, yes, that is true. <laughs> it's funny. I, I would, I would be interested to hear what Steven Spielberg thought of Moonlight, for example, or La La Land. Mm. I don't know. I don't know what he thinks of the current sort of, kind of Oscar favorite which I feel like is often a smaller movie mm-hmm. right like this more recent trend where it's like there's almost no mid-budget critically acclaimed Hollywood studio movies anymore yeah. so instead Although like, the one that smaller beat... movies gets plucked out uh, but uh, Lincoln got beaten by Argo which is exactly True. that I bet he liked Argo I'm sure he liked Argo a Spielberg movie yeah. um, S- S- Spielberg is worth about two billion dollars fewer or that less than, than George Lucas is. Wow. He's at 3.7 billion and Lucas is at five point something. Wait, that's crazy how yeah. both of those that, I mean, that's, figures that's are crazy. That's according to Google. Who sure. Knows? What? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, guys. Well, the thing I is. I mean, that's significantly more money than I have. <laughs> you know what? That's more than I'm you making You just counted it up yeah. in your head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the thing is, George Lucas sold Lucasfilm, right? right. So he got a like huge a chunk of change for there, that. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, one of the things that's interesting is DreamWorks didn't work. In in yeah. the end, like that's his his failure. If it is a failure, I don't, and that's not really Spielberg's fault, maybe. But right. the problem with DreamWorks had was you can't just start a studio, a major studio, because you're not making any money on your old movies. You know, you right. like the advantage that Warner Brothers and Universal and Fox and stuff are always going to have is like you just got this endless library that you're collecting on. Yeah. And with well, DreamWorks, you know, you had to like pump some stuff out fast. And yeah, that's like how Sony started just by them buying the MGM library, right. and like that's what made them profitable until like now. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what's going on there? But his attempt to start a studio, set the creative direction of a major Hollywood organ didn't work. Yeah. I mean, it didn't completely flop. DreamWorks made a lot of cool movies. And, and it's still around Oscars, in some capacity. still around right? in some capacity. They do TV. They do TV. I feel like the BFG, though, is the last DreamWorks Spielberg movie. Or maybe it wasn't even a DreamWorks movie. Yeah. Disney, right? It was Disney, but I think they partnered with it. Does oh, okay. you know? No, now there's Amblin. You know, he's like gone back to Amblin, his yeah. old production house, which is kind of cool. It is. I mean, who doesn't love that logo with yeah. the, <laughs> the ET? But uh, what do you guys think? I mean, like, do you guys think Steven Spielberg can win another Oscar? Definitely, guess, right? Yeah, totally. I think. Yeah. I think yes. I think probably closer to the end of his career. Mm-hmm. Than, yeah, than and right he. Now. How old is he? Uh, I was just about to look this up. I think he's like sixty my, something. He uh, he just turned seventy. So oh, wow. in the end of last year. So, Richard, when you say he'll probably win an Oscar at the end of his career, that's within the next 10 years. Yeah, no, probably. it could be. I didn't realize he was quite that old. Um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe it'll be for the Pentagon Papers. Just hey. kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Look, the Pentagon Papers might be a better name than the Post. But I think there already is a movie with that name. There was a documentary for sure. Yeah. I believe it was even Oscar nominated. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I think the thing with Spielberg, too, is that, like you said earlier, David, he's maybe a little taken for granted. Yes. You know, and I Definitely. wonder if in doing this podcast this series rather on Spielberg, have you learned anything new about him that you kind of, or have any preconceived, like rewatching these movies and talking about him so much, do you think differently about him than you did before? I, you- I think like, yeah, that the, the fact that he, when you watch these movies all in a row, there's yeah. always things that come out at us when we do this. Like you realize that every Wachowski movie is basically about like, human bodies being used as batteries in some way or other <laughs> right <laughs> um and uh, every m night Shyamalan movie is about how he secretly kind of wants to be a catholic uh you know yeah. like uh, yeah. it's just that like when you take it all in full even the bad ones like the terminal there's this like melancholy edge he gains after 9-11 and just never really lets go of mm-hmm. and especially movies like minority report like munich that he has such a suddenly 
um, and even War of the Worlds, like this askance eye at government, at like sort of the idea of national unity. Like yeah. he's become a weird sort of a pessimist. And even a movie like Lincoln, which is like the most Spielberg movie he's made in the last 20 years, right? Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, like and the most history buff. Spielbergy, yeah, I, but you know, it's got like this sort of soaring John Williams score, mm. and it's got kind of the way too cheesy ending. Like you know, yeah. it's a great movie with some, <laughs> he's overplaying his hand sometimes. Even that is about like the gunk of government and Lincoln, sort of having to try and cut through, you know, all this racism, but also like obfuscation, and he has to do it sort of somewhat extra legal. Like there's just this weird political edge to so much of his work yeah. post. I think it really is post 9-11. Yeah. Because Saving Private Ryan, that is a movie that is about the greatest generation, right? Just like the sacrifice that people made in World War II. And even though it has like a slightly cynical edge to it, like a little bit, like it's, that's... But it's it's pretty, yeah. You know, it's a flag waving, yeah. you know, saluting the grave, really uh, straightforward movie. And I feel like he's never been able to do that again. And then Joanna, I know you like uh, the BFG. I do. But even that movie, which is literally about a beloved childhood friend who makes dreams, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's just weirdly melancholy and it yeah. doesn't quite get to whatever sort of old-fashioned, cheerful vibe he was looking for. Well, looking I, th- recapture. I think that um, Ready Player One in that mm-hmm. vein will be interesting because that is about... Uh, an old man who creates, who has created this <laughs> huge like w- world of wonderment, right. and then wants to bequeath it to somebody. Yeah, and it so. and it's and it's sort of a dystopia, right? Like it's sort of set in a mm-hmm. yeah, slightly deteriorated future, and then a virtual reality kind right. of you know existence. That's as well. a good point, though. And yeah. is Rylance playing that guy? Because I know Rylance is in the cast of Ready Player One, and I, I assume he was think he's that guy, but I don't know for sure. I can't imagine who else. It's been a while since I read the book, Joanne. I think you know the book pretty well, don't you? Um, I think Rylance is playing that character. It's but... cr- crazy how Rylance just became Spielberg's. Spielberg's guy. Avatar. Yeah. 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 In the, All of a sudden. In the, yeah. yeah. Just like that. Now I think Spielberg's like, this guy's got to be in everything I make. And he's yeah. he, he's always this, like, even in Bridge of Spies, he's this sort of disgruntled artist. Like, that character, This you know, there's that great line when, I think it's when they're in court and uh, he's getting convicted. And Tom Hanks is like, is your boss going to be mad? And he's like... You know, the boss isn't always right, but he's always the boss. And it's like this weird <laughs> sort of resigned thinking about like business and, you know, the the world yeah. around you. And I don't know. He, Rylance is like the king of that for him all of a yeah. sudden. Yeah. Rylance is playing the right. James Halliday character. Yeah. The cast of Ready Player One is actually way better than I was who, giving them. Ben Mendelsohn's in, in there. Cool. Simon Pegg is in there. Uh, Ty Sheridan is uh, playing the main character, which I had forgotten about. TJ right. Miller's got a supporting part. Oscar hopeful TJ Miller. <laughs> hey, if Jonah Hill got two nominations, yeah. CJ Miller can two. one. Literally else. anything <laughs> is possible. Should we wrap this just by doing our favorite post Oscar Spielberg? Like everything after Schindler's List? Which I think I'm knocks out Jurassic ready. Park, but you can tell me if Jurassic Park counts or not, David. It does not. That's, okay. that's free Schindler's List. All right. Well, David, you surely have yours ready. AI. Mm. Artificial intelligence. The that's AI episode favorite. is really good because it is really I, good. I think you guys really clearly state what you think is important about that mm-hmm. movie. And your guest, mm-hmm. remind me his name. David Reese. He's great guest. A great, great guest. I think my favorite so far. Well, um, what about Richard Lawson? Well, what about Joanna Robinson? Well, what about, what mean, about Katie and Charlie? Rick? Katie, and, yeah, who uh, were, have Lawson. not been invited back since I brought a baby to the podcast. <laughs> no, please come back. <laughs> Anytime. I demanded to be on the Titanic episode and then I uh, brought a baby and it, it, it went as you would expect. It was terrific. Uh, I think mine's Lincoln. I love that movie, which I like saw the first time and I was like, it's fine. And then I saw it again and I was like, oh, this is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And I, I haven't seen it in a while, but like I think of it fondly often. Even rewatch though, it. Yeah, it seems super rewatchable. 
good for right now, especially oh, all man. that stuff of Tommy Lee Jones just just yelling and swearing at other congressmen. Just yeah. really, yeah. I really love to soak in that. Although uh, I feel right like now. watching Congress people get it together achieve and something. do the right thing and achieve something <laughs> and just like it might be too depressing. Uh, what about you guys? Um, I rewatched it because it was on your podcast and mm-hmm. and um, but, uh, catch me if you can. I think that's a really exquisite movie. It really is. And it's the movie that I think it's the best Leonardo DiCaprio's ever been. And it reminded me, I think I said this to you, David, over text or something, that when he's focused on it, he can be, Spielberg is a real actor's director. Like, he, yes. can, he can get mm-hmm. great performances out of people. And sometimes um, he's not, you know, yeah. weirdly. But it, I think Lincoln, he is, like, there's some movies he is, but yeah, it's true. He really gets wonderful performances out of yeah. people. Yeah, Catch Me If You Can was on TBS or something. Like, I, I hope it's on cable a lot. It's on it HBO be, it's Go on right now. Go, I got, like, know? big time sucked in. It was, like, right around yeah. Christmas. It was airing, and it's a Christmas movie. And it's, like, one of the things I was like, oh, I'm going to cook dinner. And then never did. Just yeah, watch Catch so Me good. If You Can. <laughs> Walking. Amy Adams. Yeah. Joanna, what's your favorite? Oh, I'm going to continue my streak of unpopular Spielberg opinions and say Minority Report. Probably just because I rewatched it to talk to you guys it's about a great it. Movie. But it yeah. It's so good. It's just really like technically proficient and beautiful and like a really good Tom Cruise performance. So yeah. it's also really satisfying to watch that movie, see Colin Farrell and then just skip ahead to now and be like, mm-hmm. Oh, that's the promise he showed in Minority Report. Right. Nothing bad happened between now and then. <laughs> he had some fallow patches. <laughs> but he's, he's so I remember seeing that movie and being like, who is that? Like I'd mm-hmm. never seen him before. didn't know anything about him. Didn't know he was Irish. I was totally blown away. That's what I'm talking about with Jimon Hansu. I need him to find better projects and not do. Is he in Guardians too? Guardians. No, he he, uh, he got his head ripped up open in yeah. Guardians one. He won't be back. Shows, I don't think. shows my memory. You know who else is in Amistad? His first ever screen performance, at least American screen, is Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this young man, Anthony Hopkins, they slapped some mutton chefs. Uh, True Tell as you four is in Amistad? excellent in Amistad. Wow. God, he's had a much longer career than anyone he ever remembers. He is deceptively old. Yeah. I mean, not, not to, I mean, he, he looks great and he's doing great work, but uh, that's 20 years in the biz now for Chiwetel. What's he up to? He's. I was just he's, literally he's just thinking, like, what did I just see him in? Isn't he doing the, the... Oh, Doctor Strange. He's great in Doctor Strange. Oh, he was great in Doctor Strange. I think he was maybe going to be in that Steve McQueen TV show for HBO that, that, that didn't go. That didn't go and is apparently sort of looking for a new place to be. I read some article. He's that in was something with exactly. uh, Lakeith Stanfield, who was really great in Get Out. Keith Stanfield's a, that that guy's a star. Yeah, he's, he's fantastic. I met him at a party once. He was very nice and very handsome. Should have been awesome. Love this political man is the best home for people recommended a party story. <laughs> oh my god! But most of Richards I met them at a party stories break my heart because it's someone I like, and Richards like that person's very rude to me. Uh, <laughs> so I'm Who delighted they? to hear a good one. I think I'm projecting a lot on these people. They're probably just like acting normal. I'm like they were terrible because they're not like I don't know what like giving me a hug. Richard, Richard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, David, thank you for uh, coming and giving us an excuse to uh, geek out about Steven Spielberg. Anytime. We'll have you back on when um, his next film, The Pentagon Paper, is, <laughs> is, is released in theaters. If they change the title of that movie and we incepted it, I'm taking credit. They could happen, and, and you should take all the credit in the world. I've been listening to this podcast since the first episode, I think. I'm, I'm sure. I, I'm not, I, I didn't think. realize that Little Gold Men and Blank Check are basically the same age. So mm-hmm. happy two years to all of us. And yes. give your, your co-host a kiss on the forehead from all I of will. us. He's making the tick right now. Everybody yeah, check out the tick. star of television, Griffin Newman. Yep. He's working like 24 hours a day. He's being a superhero. He's yeah. a moth. He's a flying moth man. Is that what he is? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. That does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, keep rating and review us on iTunes, even when we're not giving away Blu-rays. We really appreciate it. And uh, we love hearing from you on Twitter, too. We're all at Little Gold Men and on VanityFair.com. And you can follow us all on our own on Twitter. I'm at Katie Rich. Richard. Uh, Rylaws. And Joanna. Joe wrote this. And David, our guest, is uh, at David Elson. So don't leave him out. This episode was edited and produced by Alana Milner. And thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And this week's award for the best Obamacare replacement goes to David Sims. Human bodies being used as batteries in some way or other. (laughs) Right. Um, 